Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Good morning. If you have your Bible, please open it up to James chapter 2. First message in James 2. We've only taken seven weeks to get here. This is awesome. Um, we're actually going to fly through this chapter. Uh, we're actually going to go through uh, 13 verses this week, and the next week we're going to jump into verse 14, going through verse 26. You don't want to miss next week. It's actually one of the most, I would say, controversial, troubling um, theologians have like just squabbled over, specifically verses 14 through 26, and hopefully we don't squabble over it next week. We can just kind of see what the Word says for us with good interpretation, good understanding, and what we should do because of what the Word says. Well, we're in our series called Authentic, and what we have said is this is where faith and real life meet. Where faith and real life meet. Now, in our life, if you claim, listen to me, church, if you claim to have a walk with Jesus Christ, but you do not have an increase in love for Him and for other people, you are a walking contradiction. If you, you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you just kind of fell into this place today, maybe you got bribed to have lunch after the service, it's awesome to have you, great to have you. Um, we're a church, just we welcome all people from all over the place. We're actually going to kind of talk about this and kind of break some of the, maybe some mental barriers that you have. That's what this text is about today. But for you, if you, Christian, if you, Say, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus. If you do not have an increase for the love of God that also is expressed with a love for other people, you are a walking contradiction. You know, some other things from our culture that, that I found is a contradiction is this. Uh, our family has kind of decided that we would kind of watch our diet just a little bit. we kind of been doing this little lifestyle thing, not called a diet. Sorry, sorry, babe, not a diet. It's a lifestyle thing. So we've been watching our carb intake, and here recently we've been, we've been just watching it skyrocket, but we're going to get back to where we started. And uh, we're kind of watching our carbs and kind of watching our sugar, and those are, I don't know what the glycemic index is. I've been actually, I've been looking at the back of like wrappers more than I ever have in my life, and I'm like, I don't know, I, I think I'm doing well sometimes, but... Uh, so for us, I, one of the things that I found because of this lifestyle change, right, right, not a diet, lifestyle change, is this. Well, we love Mexican food. Here's what I found is just something that is a, a cultural contradiction. Healthy Mexican food. Like you can't, it's like it doesn't exist. True story. It's like I went in, I've tried a couple different Mexican places here in town, love Mexican food. I've actually had people say, hey, you know, hey, do you want to go do lunch? And I'm like, yeah, where do you want to go? And they always pick one of two Mexican places here in town. So I'm like, awesome. I'm basically going to get taco salad. It's not even Mexican. It's just like this thing. And I go to one of these places, right? And and to take away all of the of the good stuff, that would be the carbs and the tortilla and all of that. Um, I got some Spanish speaking folks. Did I say that right? Tortilla? Yes. All right. So, so like you take away the tortilla and you take away that, you take away the chips and salsa, which why else are you going to go to Mexican, right? Unless you have chips and salsa. Is that a true story? Raise your hand if you believe that. Not, not Bible true, but that's true, true, right? That's life true. So it's like healthy Mexican is, is a contradiction because if you remove the, if you remove the, the, the chips and you remove the tortilla, literally what you get is just this blob on a plate. And that's all you get. And it just looks like two molten things on your plate. And you have to decide, is this really healthy? And it doesn't look healthy, but I have to tell you, it tastes pretty stinking good, right? And it does. 
there are many things in our culture that, that are a contradiction. Have you ever been? I may be telling on some of you, and I apologize. I, I looked around today. Nobody fits this description today, so I'm not offending you today. Maybe in the past. If you, gentlemen, if you walk around with black dress socks on and flip-flops or open-toed sandals, that is a walking contradiction. I'm just, by definition, that really is. Because you've got to choose one or the other. I'm either going to wear dress socks, which then you would wear closed-toed shoes, preferably not tennis shoes, but we'll just put that aside, or decide to wear flip-flops. But if you have the two, it's just a walking contradiction, right? Like every one of us, we look there, we're like, oh, no, I can't remember why in the world did they do that? Here's one thing that we cannot, there's all kinds of contradictions. There's all kinds. Like, when I hear Georgia Bulldogs, national champions, I mean, that's just a walking contradiction, right? Uh, True story. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Sorry. Just, you know, sometimes I just have to say it the way it really is. Sorry, guys. Um, but there's so many things in our, in our culture that are just contradictions. But what we cannot contradict is this. If we claim that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot contradict what we say we believe inwardly by what we do outwardly. It has to flow from the inside of our heart through us to other people. Let me ask you this question. And this is really the, the, the real heart of what James is saying in this text. I just want you to really think about this. I don't want you to just, just hear this and just like pass it off and say, yeah, that was a really good thing. I would say this, when I ask this question, if it doesn't resonate something within you, you are probably not walking in repentance in this area. And that is the most dangerous place that you could possibly be right now. Let me ask you this. Is there a person in your life right now who you would not welcome to sit next to you in worship today? Is there a person in your life right now who you would feel uncomfortable with them sitting right next to you in worship today? Is there? Before you just kind of pass that off and be like, yeah, well, they deserve it. Like, my boss doesn't like me, and kind of feelings are mutual. And you could just, like, pass that off. You could say, you know what, you know, I'm just kind of going through hard times with this person. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's a friend you haven't talked to in 10 years. And you just said, you know what, enough is enough, and you push them away. Is there a person in your life right now who you would not welcome to sit right next to you in worship today? And if the answer is yes, I'll challenge you. The problem is not with them. The problem is within you. And that is exactly what James gets into in chapter 2. Because all of us play favorites. But we can't play favorites when it comes to, A, our relationship with God. And how that is supposed to be expressed to other people. James 2, verse 1. My brothers, or my brothers and sisters, remember in James, this is specific to this book, like when he writes, when he wants to introduce a new idea, he says, my brothers, it's kind of like saying, uh-huh, here's something new, y'all need this, y'all need this. He's saying, uh-huh, pay attention now. He says, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. If you want to know what the bottom line for this message is, James just told you in James 2, verse 1. That's the whole point of this passage. He says, as 
believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And the word glorious is talking about the splendor. It's just this, this characteristic that only God possesses. That He is a holy and righteous God and we are not Him. We cannot be Him. We cannot even directly approach Him. He, he lives in unapproachable light is what it says in 1 Timothy 6. So when James, he's, he's trying to drive his audience, the scattered uh, the scattered people around that area and us today. He's trying to drive us to a point to say, okay, now we're supposed to be living a different ethic. This is a God ethic, not living an ethic based on what you like and your favorites and who you want to write off and who you think deserves it and how angry you are and how envious you are of their life and how much bitterness you have rested in your heart. He says, nah, brothers and sisters. He said, move that away because I want you to get to a place of humility before our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Think of, the, of this, this idea that he's introducing, just being in the presence of God, and we live in the presence of God. And he says, don't show favoritism. And then he gives us an example in verse 2. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to a man wearing fine clothes and say, well, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Verse 7. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Verse 12 really is the application for this text. And I love when the Word of God gives this. I'll give some more application through this talk, but starting in verse 12, 12 and 13, it's really the application. He says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's heavy. Then he says, in closing of this text, Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. There's going to be two main ideas or kind of places we're going to rally around, and I'll just give you the first one right out of the gate. Playing favorites contradicts personal faith. Playing favorites contradicts personal faith. James presses into this idea. He presses into it, and he comes right out of the gate in verse 1, and he says to you and I, says, don't show favoritism. And actually, in the Greek there, it's showing, it's, it's not just a singular thing, it's showing plural, it's like the acts of favoritism, meaning there's a lot of different ways that you can show favoritism to other people. 
The people that you like and the people you don't like. The people you say, you know what, I'm writing you off. Oh, I love you. You have something to add to me. I like what you say. You've never offended me. And he's saying, we all creatively within ourselves can kind of just form these ways in us to build a level of favoritism to people we don't like. And James says, if you call yourself a brother or sister of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you, brother or sister, are a walking contradiction. You are a walking contradiction. God does not play favorites himself. It says this in Acts 10, 34 through 35. Just allow this word to wash over you. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Then it says, and this is not on the screen, but it says this following, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Who's Lord of all. Romans 2, 9-11. through 11. Allow this to sift through your conscience. Allow the Spirit just kind of permeate you and make you evaluate. My hope is, after this talk, that you would evaluate to say, wow, am I doing all I'm supposed to with the relationships that God has given me inside of my family, outside of my family? Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your parents, whether it's your... Uh, whoever it could be, your, your co-workers. Romans 2, verse 9 says this, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. See the contrast? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. Just as God extends His love to the Jew and Gentile, He expects us to do the same. And He says in this text, if you do not do that, you are in essence are choosing one of these two paths. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the obvious path that we want to choose is in the text. Because I don't think anybody coming in here is saying, you know what, I want trouble from God. I want more distress in my life. I want more brokenness in my relationships. Wow, I hope my marriage is on the rocks for the next 30 years. Nobody came in here saying that, right? No one. But he claims that when we do that, we bring that trouble and distress on ourselves, that it's evil. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does good. That means what you do, even after the moment of salvation. And I've been shaken. We had seven people receive Jesus Christ last weekend, right, like right in this place. And I have been shaking ever since. I've been shaking ever since. But I have to tell you, they, just as myself, we're on this journey. And now, as we have understand to just a little greater degree how much God loves us, that He sent His Son to die on a cross for us, now He wants that love to flow through us. He wants to, to use us as He changes us to help change other people's lives, to change other people's eternal destinies. It says in Ephesians 6 and 9, again, I'm just, I want this to be so concrete in your being. Ephesians 6 and 9, it says, God, in God, there is no favoritism. None. 
See, what I love about this, if, if you've been somebody who's read the Scriptures, what I love about this, that means in Simon, he just didn't see a fisherman. He didn't just play favorites and walk around and look at the religious elite and say, oh, man, you're re- wow, you know the Old Testament. You know it inside and out. You've got it memorized. Wow, even Leviticus, and nobody wants to memorize Leviticus. You've got Leviticus just nailed. I want you on my team. As a matter of fact, what Jesus did, he walked out to, the, to everyone else that, that the religious elite neglected, and he, when he saw Peter, the fisherman, he didn't say, wow, Peter, you're going to do a really good job. You, you're going you're gonna to be a fisherman, and you're going to feed all the people who are doing the work of God. No, in Peter, he saw a rock. He saw a rock. He saw something that the very church would kind of be built around, that he would be one of the very first leaders in the early church, and that the message of the gospel would flow through him first. Before it went everywhere else, and Paul just went all around the Mediterranean rim. When he looked at Peter... When he looked at Simon, he didn't just say, wow, you know what, kid? You're going to be all right in about 30 years, but you are just, you are a mess. When he looked at him, he says, you know what? You're a rock. You know, in the Old Testament, Amos, the prophet Amos, it's a great, great book. You ought to read it. But in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Amos, he was a tree trimmer. And, and, and I love this because if God chooses to use a tree trimmer, he can use a knuckle-dragon mechanic just like me to bring his message. He's just a tree trimmer. And God spoke to him, and all of a sudden he went from trimming trees, and now he would actually be one of the people who God would inspire by his Holy Spirit to put down his words, Holy Spirit's words, through him and for his namesake. And now you look at it, and it doesn't say Amos the tree trimmer. You probably didn't even know he was a tree trimmer, right? You didn't. If you've read the Bible, you probably know that he was a prophet. He was a man of God. But he didn't just see Amos and say, wow, kid, you're going to be amazing in 30 years. He saw a tree trimmer, and he says, you're going to do amazing things now. Christian, God wants to do amazing things in you now. He's not, waking, he's not waiting for a better version of you. He's not waiting until He has you perfectly reformed into the person you think you need to be. He wants to use you right now. And He's going to use you in the context of your relationships. But if you decide that you're just going to stop the flow of God's love from you because you choose to not love certain people because of whatever they've done to you or whatever events that have happened in your life, you are choosing to Stop God's flow flowing through you. And in that, it's what is said in Romans. That's a scary, scary place to be. That's a lonely place to be. That's a painful place to be. There's no peace there. Your life's going to be a mess. You could, you could shut off the flow just because you're so angry or mad or envious or jealous, whatever, because of, of a certain individual. And all of a sudden, what happens is the flow of God's love starts to shut off from other people too. But it started with that one person. It starts just with that one, one person. This is not on the screen, but I, I just... After the people who receive Jesus, I know several of them are in the room, even right now. I just I want this word to wash over you because this is, I didn't have a chance to tell you last week, but this is who you are in Christ right now. This is your standing today in Christ. It says this in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For you all are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. That's talking about being born again, not physical baptism. That's a matter of being born again. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And I want to say this. If you just received Jesus last week, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Could we, could we just say welcome to the family for those? Welcome to the family. But with that, God doesn't play favorites, so neither should we. God doesn't play favorites, and neither should we. Uh, when you look at the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Jonah decided he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He just wanted to kind of play favorites of the people that he liked, and he didn't like the people in Nineveh. Anybody read that story? It, it, it ended pretty well for him, didn't it? Right? Did it end pretty well? Uh, smelling like you know chewed up kelp? What do you think? Maybe some sardines? Anybody want to live in that for about three days like he did? As a matter of fact, in the scriptures with Jonah and Peter was even, he was prejudiced toward the Gentiles and he had to be corrected because he, he's, he started to believe, no, 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 the salvation thing is just for Jews. And he had to have some other brothers in Christ come up next to him and say, no, 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 no. This, this, the flow of God's love just isn't for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. He had to be corrected in that. Further, in the Old Testament, with the Egyptians, they hated the Jews. There's so much prejudice that went on with those people. The Jews, they hated the Samaritans. And the feeling was likewise. But Jesus changed all that around. He changed all that around. There's so much favoritism that goes on with so much division that happens around us. Let me just, can, can I incite some wonder in you right now? Can I, can I incite some wonder in you? What would our community be like if we were not so racially divided? What would our community be like? What would our community be like if our churches won't, they weren't so denominationally divided, what would, what would your family be like if you stopped playing favorites or at work instead of saying, you know what, I like who I like and I'm writing off everyone else. What would the flow of the gospel look like in your workplace if you simply did what God instructs you to do? What would that look like? The racial division that's going on is just overwhelming to me. I get overwhelmed with it all the time. And the most racially divided place are places that claim God's name. Not for us, church. Not for us. We're not going to play favorites because of who we like and because of, because of skin color or nationality or denomination. We want to be a place for all broken people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we want. That's what the church should be like. It is a hospital for sinners, but get this, it is a hospital for sinners, and God meets you right where you are, but He never, ever wants you to stay there. He doesn't just want you to stay in this broken place over and over and over. He doesn't just want you to limp into a place of worship and just get you enough to get through the day and, oh, here's Monday. He wants you to have a sustaining relationship with Him that is fulfilled every day, that you can walk in the abundance of His joy and in the abundant life that He promises. There's so much division. There's so much division politically. It's just out of control. There's even some, some division with our, in our own 
country just, and this is, and I'm not trying to pick on you. I realize I'm from somewhere else and many of you are from right here. There's even so much division that it just kind of goes into our psyche between north and south. And let's just be honest. Can we just get over that? Can we just get over that? Can we get over Confederate flags? Can we do that? Can we get over Southern heritage, over the heritage of God's people? Can we get over that? I realize that's a very harsh word, and I realize that maybe you feel like I'm putting my finger in your face, and I'm not better than you, and I realize I'm not from here, but I'm over it, and I want you to be too. Because I have to tell you, when it be- those become things that we like, and we start playing favorites of who deserves the gospel, who we're going to talk to, who we like and who we don't like, and the love of God is not supposed to be felt in us, it's supposed to be through us. And the point of this text is this, is James is looking at the marginalized And James is saying, brothers, brothers, sisters, why do you snuggle up to the rich people who are taking advantage of you? As a matter of fact, that's what they did in this text. Why do you snuggle up to them? He said, the poor people, they're just kind of putting off to the side. This was literally happening in in, in their culture, in their environment. Because the rich in their environment became richer. And the poor became poorer because in their environment, there was no due process of law. As a matter of fact, if, if someone owed somebody else money, they could take them into court in that moment and they could drag them into court and say, they owe me money and they could take and seize your property. They could take everything you have if you owed anyone anything. So what James is saying is, brothers, do you not realize the wickedness that's going on in your heart right now? These very people, you're snuggling up to the people who are taking everything away from you. I'll put it in a different way. You know, the only thing, the only thing more damaging to my soul than to see a woman who is in an abusive relationship, the only thing more abusive to my soul than that is watching a woman, a woman in, in an abusive relationship snuggle back up to her abuser. And that's what James is saying. He's like, brothers, don't you see what you're doing? The, the people who were marginalized, the people who are on the side, he says, you've, just, you've said, you know what, sit at my feet, peasant. You're not worthy. He says, no, no, no. You got some gold, you got some bling. Maybe you got a big grill with a dollar sign. He says, no, I want you to sit right next to me. Is what James is saying. He's like, why are you doing that? That is, that is so wicked. You're favoring yourself with wickedness. Why would you do that? And you're neglecting the marginalized. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I look in the Scriptures, I think that, that God wants us to speak out for the marginalized. Those who are oppressed in any sort of social structure or cultural structure, the people of God are supposed to speak up for them. Not neglect them, not walk by them, but to love them. Verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So you see the two people coming in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, well, here's a good seat for you. Sit on the floor by my feet. You stand there. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and became judges with evil thoughts? 
Make no mistake, there's no way we can justify favoritism. There's no biblical way you can justify racism. There's no, no biblical way you can justify denominationalism. I didn't make the word up. It's legit. There's no way that you can, you can justify those things biblically. You, you cannot. On the things that you like or the things that you don't like. There's no way biblically. I'm not saying that all denominations are wrong. That's not my point. But even in that, you cannot say, you know what, I'm better than somebody else because I believe this and they believe that. Because in doing so, where does that judgment come from? From our evil thoughts. And look at verse 5. This is, an, this is actually an echo of Matthew 5, verse 3. He says, listen, my dear brothers. I love, I love how personal he is with this. The Word of God is personal. It's not cold. He says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the, of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It's not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? That's what I was talking about. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? He says, why would you do that? Why would you snuggle up to the abuser? Why would you snuggle up to the people who are, who are taking advantage of the marginalized? Why would you do that? Why would you stop God's flow for people that you like? Why would you do that? I'll put it in a different way. Completely different way. Because that seems, that seems a, little, a little overtly biblical. Like, where do I put that? Let me put this in a different way. All right? Teenagers. Many of you have no idea of the name I'm about ready to say. But, teenagers, listen up. If Harry Styles came in here today, right, what would you do other than lose your mind? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. If Harry Styles came in here, by the way, he is one of the singers of the band One Direction. Men, if you don't know who this is, I'm proud of you right now, okay? Super proud of you. If Harry Styles were to come in here right now, all the teenagers would absolutely lose their mind. There would be so many selfies going on. I could not preach a lick. Maybe you believe I can't preach a lick anyway. Anyway, but... It's neither here nor there. But I could not preach a lick because all the selfies and everything else that was going on. It would be the exact same way if Herschel Walker came in here, right? The pride of Wrightsville. Absolutely. He came in here, maybe not you. You'd be the only one. You'd be sitting over there by yourself. Everybody else would be all snuggled up to Herschel. would be like, Herschel, come sit with me. Come sit with me. That's exactly what you would do. Maybe for some of you it would be Will Smith, right? I mean, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, people. Will Smith. I'll be honest with you, I would. If Will Smith came in, I'd be like, you need to sit right here. Do it Willie style right here. We're going to worship together and the, the whole family. It's going to be amazing. Like, that's exactly what James is saying. He's like, why, why are you playing favorites? All people, whether it's people you, the, the culture props up, which that's what the culture is doing. The culture is propping all the names that I said. You probably resonated with some of them. Culture props them up and he says, you know what? Even the people that you don't know, maybe especially the people you don't know, are the ones that you would neglect because you found your favorite. So not with God's people. Not in this place. Not now. 
not ever. And the reason why is this, the second main idea, this taken from verse 8 through 13, is playing favorites actually breaks the law of love. And that's the law that we're bound to. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we're, we're bound to love God more deeply, not perfectly, but increasingly, and to love other people. Verse 8 says this, If you really keep the royal law found in the Scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But, but, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is, is guilty as a lawbreaker. For he who said, verse 11, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do not commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. He picked the two, like, the most grievous things that, that our minds could put up. And he's, he's putting on the same level favoritism, shutting off the flow of the law of love to other people. He's putting it right up with murder and adultery. Which is amazing. And maybe you want to like read this later this week. These are the very things that Jesus lifted up in the Sermon on the Mount specifically. And you'd be able to read that in Matthew 5 going through verse 6. These are some of the things that Jesus kind of elevated, took it to a new level. Not the Old Testament level. He took it to a new level. And he says, this is the law of love. But he puts this idea of favoritism within the house of God, within our relationships. He puts it on the same level as murder and adultery. And he says, if you've broken any of them, you've completely broken the law. The law of love. And he, he uses this word, the royal law. In the Old Testament, there's, this, there's another word that means loyal law. This is not that. He's talking about... Because he's talking about people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's talking about the royal law. The love that is compelling for Christians today. That we are loving God more, more increasingly and loving other people more increasingly. We don't get to choose who we get to love. It's the royal law. 1 John 4.20 says this. If anyone says, well, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he, has, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. James is saying, if, if you have broken one of God's laws, you've broken the whole thing. Which then, in verse 12, he starts talking about mercy. You see, the people of God, in verse 12, he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Now, this is not the Mosaic law. This is not the Old Testament law. This isn't the first five books of the Bible law. This is different. He's talking to Christians, Christian Jews. So he's, he's using kind of Jewish terms, but he's putting the Christian slant on it. For them to understand that it's, that it's different than the Mosaic law that they've lived in. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That means that God so loved you that He sent His Son to die for you. That should compel you to live in a different way. 
That should compel you to understand God has been so merciful to me, I have to be merciful merciful to other people because mercy by definition is giving you something you do not deserve. So just because you think somebody doesn't deserve your love, that should put you right here in James in this text is saying, just because you think somebody doesn't deserve the love, remember the God the love that God gave you. You didn't deserve it either. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing for it. And what James just told us at the beginning of this section of the text, he says, as a matter of fact, all you've done is break it. You and I, as Christians, we should be begging for God's mercy with regularity. I'm not saying that we lose our salvation. We don't lose our salvation. I could give you a ton of scriptures to help back that up. That's not the purpose of this talk. You don't lose your salvation. You can be on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and that is where you are eternally. And you can have eternal security. And you can have assurance of your salvation as you walk imperfectly this walk of faith in Christ. But what James is pointing out here, he says, Brothers, sisters, we were all lawbreakers. We were all in such desperate need of the mercy of God. And remember when God extended that mercy to you? Remember where you were? Remember where you... Think about this, church. Where were you when you received God's mercy? God's mercy that brought about salvation. Where were you? Where were you? Has that happened? See, we should think about that day. Before we, thinking of, before we think about how we should be judging other people that we don't like. How, how we should be playing favorites with other people that we disagree with, who cause us to be angry, that we're bitter with, we're envious of, we're jealous of, whatever situation you find yourself in. James' point here is saying, Christians, we're to live a new ethic. Because just as God has been merciful to you, you have to be merciful to other people. And he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Something I found, I thought this was, it was kind of profound for me, is I was thinking about the flow and the flow of God's love and, and just the, the imagery of the human heart came to mind. Just the, the imagery of the human heart and what that does and how it provides the, the blood that, that all through our body, it pumps blood away from the heart and also the heart pumps blood to the heart. And on, actually on the, the right side of your heart, there's four chambers to your heart, but on the, the right side of your heart, that's the side where the blood is pumped back up into your heart. And as, as the blood goes, because of that's just the amazing, the impulses of what's going on in your heart, just what's going on, something you didn't do anything you, you don't have to think about your heart beating, right? Because if we did, like, like, we'd never be able to juggle, would we? We would be in such trouble. We'd never be able to do anything. We wouldn't be able to live if we had to think about making our body work. But God, creator God, merciful God, he does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And, and his, the way that he has shaped us is the blood flies up, or rather flows up through the right side of our heart, and it comes into our heart, and it pumps it through our heart, and it goes through our lungs through the pulmonary artery, and it goes through our lungs, and our lungs just saturate that blood with oxygen. And then that blood goes out of our lungs, and it goes into the left side of our heart. And as it goes into the left side of our heart, then it just pumps it through the rest of our body. But yet in that, here's the most amazing thing to me. If, if your body did not have a, a way that your, your blood would become saturated with oxygen, your blood would become toxic. 
and you would die. But God, out of his goodness, doing for us, causing our heart to beat approximately 100,000 beats a day, 35 million beats a year that you didn't think about, you didn't do anything for, God just made it happen. I tell you that story because that's such a great picture as to how we're supposed to love other people. Because as the heart works in the four chambers, the right and left, as the blood comes into the heart and it goes into the lungs and it's just saturated with oxygen so that your body needs. You see, if the blood didn't go up through, it would become toxic. But if the, if the love of God doesn't flow through you, your life becomes toxic. Then you could be saved but be a danger for everyone else around you. And I've met a lot of people who I, I believe are saved but have become toxic in the relationships. And most of the time it goes back to a person made me mad. I'm envious of their life. I'm jealous as to what they have and I don't have. I'm angry because of something that they've done. And what we've decided, and what James presses into here, is this. Then we've decided that we're going to play favorites and we are going to shut off the flow of God's love to them. But it doesn't impact them as much as it makes our lives toxic. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? So in closing, let me just ask you the question that I started this whole talk with. Is there a person in your life right now who you would not welcome to sit right next to you in worship? Is there a person? Is there anyone? Maybe you have a list of things and offenses that they've done to you. What I'm going to say is, I'm not going to say that those offenses aren't legitimate, but what I am going to say is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how long do you think the offenses are the things that you've offended God with? How long do you think that list is? And yet His mercy triumphs over judgment. So maybe, maybe that judgment should stop today. Maybe there's a phone call you need to make after you leave here. Maybe there's a cup of coffee that you need to have with somebody in your midst. Maybe there's, maybe there's a husband and wife that just needs to get together and put all of those things on the table and really discuss the nature of that relationship. Maybe there's even some toxic relationships. Maybe you're dating someone and it is, you know that it's not God's best for you and you've been settling for a long time because you think they're the last ones. And you said, man... He's not the best for me, but, but he, he, he or she, they're, they're good for right now. You need to have that conversation because you know the Holy Spirit's been telling you, brother, sister, that relationship is toxic and you have the power to change it. Let's pray. Father God, out of the storehouse of your grace, out of the abundance of your mercy, 
overwhelm us with your love. God, press into us the person that that we need to make amends with. Press into us the the conversation that needs to be had. Give us the, the confidence to know that that really the, the result of the whole thing is not the most important. It's the step. It's having the conversation right now that is the most important thing. Lord God, I pray that I don't know what's in people's hearts. I don't know what people have been told by their parents or grandparents. But Lord, I, I believe there's a better way. I believe that there's a better way of bringing our community back together. I believe the gospel changes everything. I believe that the true gospel eradicates racism. Denominationalism. I believe the gospel, it will really set us free. Free from political bondage. Free from the, the, the groups and clubs that, that we've kind of aligned ourselves with because they tell us everything that we want to hear and they agree with everything that we think they should agree with. Father, allow your gospel to permeate in and through us so the love of God just doesn't just rest in us and stop but it would flow through us through our heart so that we could be saturated with more of your love as it flows out to other people we pray in Jesus good name amen